Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and your movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing A Wrinkle in Time. A Wrinkle in Time was written by Madeline Lettengel, I think. Damn. <laughs> and published in 1962. And the film adaptation uh, came out in 2018, was directed by Ava DuVernay. Yep. Yeah. So those are two things that happened. At some point. I did. (laughs) (laughs) So um, we're sorry about the lateness of this episode. Yes. Uh, We pride ourselves on coming out consistently every other Wednesday, but uh, circumstances as they were, we moved. Major life event happened. <laughs> to, we moved like a mile away. It was, it was it's more, more than a it's mile. It's more than a mile, but like <laughs> not that far away, but still the move itself was uh, very, it, there was a lot involved. Yeah. So uh, even this short book uh, proved to be a little too much to get through in the time allotted. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, and plus we we had to move sooner than we thought. So yeah. things just kind of got a little crazy for us for a bit so thank you so much for understanding and um hopefully you got a chance to see our walkthrough video mm-hmm. where we show you our apartment uh in progress obviously yeah <laughs> we're yeah. still quite not settled um but if you haven't seen that video or you want to watch it again um we put it out on our social media platforms so that's on mm-hmm. facebook it's on twitter it's on instagram and it's on patreon We're currently in our new recording room. We are. Uh, We got some sound paneling on the walls, but it's still pretty empty. So we're still getting some uh, some reflection. So if it's a little more echoey than usual, hopefully that is better the next time or the time after. So we're working on it. We just got to get more things. Yes. Buy more stuff. Buy more stuff (laughs) that will anchor us to this apartment. So we'll never want to move again. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, but yeah, let's let's get into the adaptation of this episode. Yes. A Dinkle in Time. <laughs> Written by one, one Dinkle. <laughs> one Peter Dinklage <laughs> in time. Yeah, so uh, the, the, the story stars uh, our heroine, Meg. Meg Murray. Meg Murray. And have you, so had you read this book before? Um, yeah. Before reading it this I, time? Um, I read it in middle school and I remembered nothing about it other than um, I didn't like it that much. Oh, yeah. And yeah, I just I I just I didn't remember much about it other than I just didn't like it that Hmm. much. I I was kind of underwhelmed. Also, I remember the TV adaptation. Oh, yeah. And the terrifying centaur Pegasus thing (laughs) in it. It's horrifying. (laughs) Like imagine um, a centaur, but instead of. Uh, the whole upper body of a human. It's just a larger human's head instead of a horse's head. Oh, my God. And then it had wings. Yeah, we need to post some pictures on social media. It's terrifying. It's, it's like CGI, like real early CGI. It's bad. Uh, but those are the two things I remember. <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't read this as a child. So I feel like middle school is usually the time that you would read this book. Yeah. Um, I read it. In my early 20s, and then I read it again just now. Um, So I don't have that nostalgia tied to the book, um, having read it in the past, but I guess you don't either. either. If you don't remember it, and what you do remember is that you kind of didn't like it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So no uh, no nostalgia between either of us. Mm -hmm. It might come through. It'll probably come through a little bit for me talking about the book, but we'll get there when we get there. So. Uh, yeah, so 
Uh, Meg is our hero. Yes. Uh, Meg Murray. And she's kind of a fireball. She's yeah. kind of a... Um, an angsty middle school girl yeah. a little bit. She's going through that time in your life when you're 13 and you're in middle school. And your father disappeared And your father just disappeared one day. <laughs> and your mom's really hot. And your brother's a genius. And you just like don't know <laughs> how to handle all of it. <laughs> and then you have twin brothers who are so forgettable they're not in the adaptation. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah, but I, I do feel I do feel for Meg. Um, she has a lot of insecurities, mainly about how she looks and about how she doesn't quite fit in and about how, um, she, I think she knows that she's smart, but Mm -hmm. she does have trouble in school. And I think this is important to acknowledge because they talk about how Meg is really smart and gifted, but that she doesn't really excel in school for various reasons. And I think that's an important point to make, like, you can be extremely intelligent and just not do well in school sometimes. Yeah, so everyone is different, but um, Meg is just kind of in that time. She's 13. It's middle school. You get it. We everyone, all know. <laughs> everyone regrets being 13, I think. Yeah. She has braces. Her hair is bushy and yeah. crazy. I, I had fleece hoodies that I wore like every day <laughs> of middle school. Different colors. Like the sleeves were different colors than like the torso part. And what? Yeah. Yeah. So like it would have like red sleeves and like a navy blue. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. And uh, I had like eight of them. Oh my God. <laughs> I just, you know what? I found. That what, was your time. I found what I liked and I just stuck to it back then. I had braces in middle school mm-hmm. and I also didn't know how to do anything with my hair. Fun who, fact, who I did, still though? don't. No, no, I, I don't either. I just learned to cut as much of it off as I could. Yeah. So there was less to have to less figure to out. to deal with. Exactly. So that's Meg. So that's Meg. Uh, side note, uh, being in a new apartment, there might be new sounds yes. that you experience. Perhaps it's loud stomping footsteps upstairs <laughs> or birds and children outside um, or us... L- Smelling cigarette smoke <laughs> from the downstairs neighbor every once in a while. So uh, just keep that in mind. There might be a few noises that are unusual, but that's okay. We're going to roll with it. Yep. Uh, the other thing that we already hinted at is that Meg's father has disappeared completely <laughs> yeah. off the face of the earth. Four years ago, um, he disappeared and no one knows where he is. In the book, it's sort of like, uh, I think the government is like keeping it secret. Yeah. That he's yeah. disappeared and they just kind of say like, we don't know where he is or he's on a mission or something. He's serving the country or something. <laughs> um, <laughs> in the movie, everyone's just sort of like, he disappeared. And uh, in both versions, some people don't believe that he actually disappeared. They think he just like ran away and abandoned his family. Yeah. Okay. So um, let's get into the adaptation right now because in the movie... I thought this was so weird and like kind of unbelievable is that he's been gone for four years yeah, and it's the anniversary of him disappearing and just everyone is talking about it. Oh yeah. Uh, girls are being mean to Meg about it saying they wished she disappeared. Uh, (laughs) teachers are talking about it at recess within earshot of children. Like gossiping about it. Like it's the hot goss. (laughs) Like four years later. (laughs) Still. Like I'm sure... Kids parents, other kids' parents in that school have just like left. Yeah. Or like or disappeared. done terrible things in yeah. the meantime. Leave Meg alone. Like what the shit? Like yeah. it was just too much. You mm-hmm. know, it was kind of overly dramatized 
for it having been four years ago. Yeah. So kind of odd Mm -hmm. in my mind. Uh, And then there's Meg's brother. Charles Wallace. Sir Charles Wallace. (laughs) Uh, He is five. I think he's six in the movie. And he is a genius. He talks like an adult person Mm. um, and is super cute, at least in the movie. Um, and can kind of read minds, sort of. It's implied that he can kind of get a sense of what people are thinking and feeling and can kind of latch on to that. Yeah, okay. So I'm going to get into this now because it's hinted at so much at the beginning. Yeah. And we do, it's continued to be like vaguely discussed throughout the story, this kind of psychic connection Charles Wallace has and is like yeah. stronger brain power than other people. Mm-hmm. But this like was weird for me. I don't know. I was kind of always waiting for a little bit more of an explanation. Like at one point, the mom says he's like the next. What does she say? Like almost. like Oh, he's like kind of more than human. Yeah. Like he's the next step of human evolution or something. And I'm like, he's the (laughs) X-Men. What? Like, (laughs) like certainly there has to be an explanation for this. Cause like the dad's like traveling through space and time and their son happens to be like, psychic or something you know what i mean yeah i I was kind of waiting for something more about that and then it just never came yeah he's just really smart and gifted and obviously he's only five now so who knows what he could be when he gets older yeah could be anything even Mm -hmm. the president (laughs) (laughs) which which was probably more prestigious than it has become yeah i don't think uh charles wallace would become president (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, but he and Meg are super close. Yeah. Like they have this really strong connection despite their age difference. Mm-hmm. And he really is almost like, um, em- empathically linked to her. Yeah. They can, he can kind of feel her emotions strongly and they just have this really sweet bond that I like. They do like, yeah, he is more attuned to Meg and, uh, their mom yeah. than other people. And it's kind of like more of just a choice cause he is more, uh, engaged with her, I think, and cares about her the most that, you know, that happens. So, uh, yeah. So Charles Wallace also (laughs) is really hard to read his dialogue Yeah, and think of it as a five-year-old. It is. It's tough to picture. Like at one point, um, I thought of him as like Stewie Griffin from Family Guy, <laughs> just because like you know yeah. small child, really sophisticated vocabulary, and then I had so much trouble getting that out of my head for a while. <laughs> yeah, so that <laughs> tainted the first couple chapters for me just a little bit, but I got over it. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Mrs. What's it? Uh, in the book, Meg has two brothers. We mentioned that super oh, briefly. Yeah, yeah. But uh, they are not part of anyone's story. <laughs> Nope. And they are not interesting, apparently, to anyone. No one gives a fuck about the and twins. And so they are not in the adaptation, which makes sense because everyone would be, like, shocked by how little they matter. I know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, also, the mom is super beautiful. Yes. She is very smart and a scientist and also hot. And this is weirdly talked about a lot in the book. Yeah. They're just like, your mom's so hot. And the actress that plays her in the movie is pretty hot. Oh, no, she's certainly well casted. <laughs> Her parents, Chris Pine playing the dad. Oh, yeah. Are like the most attractive couple mm-hmm. uh, that of probably any parents out of that school. So <laughs> That's why people are still talking about them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that's why Meg has like so much to live up to. She's yeah. like, my parents were so hot, <laughs> like not smart. Like, I don't care if they were like. 
The most um, brilliant scientists. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. fuck that. They were they were all they were both so hot. <laughs> yeah. Oh, in the movie, Meg, when Meg is being bullied, Meg throws a basketball into a girl's face. That's <laughs> that pretty was great. I did enjoy that moment <laughs> when she just socks her right in the the face. Yeah. Uh yeah. Mrs. What's it? Then Mrs. What's it shows yeah. up. Yeah. And it's a dark and stormy night. Mm-hmm. And uh Meg goes downstairs to hang out with Charles Wallace, and then Mrs. What's It comes in. Yeah, so in the book, she's just kind of an old woman wrapped up in a lot of clothes. Yeah. And she's super goofy, and it's kind of this whole slapstick scene with like, because the mom is there, and they're yeah. trying to get her boots off, and her boots are full of water, and it's just like... and also <laughs> They give her a sandwich. They, yeah, they give her a sandwich, and also Charles Wallace knows her, and the mom's like, how do you know her? He's um, like, oh, I visited her in the woods like a few days ago. <laughs> and I'm like, do you know where your son is, Mrs. Murray? Like he's out you know befriending. He's five, right? He's just out befriending old women who live in the woods. <laughs> so uh yeah, so it's very slapsticky in the in the book. Mm-hmm. Uh in the movie, it's she's played by Reese Witherspoon. Yes. Uh so very much, hot. Much hotter. <laughs> uh, Everyone in the movie is like way hotter. <laughs> <laughs> that is yeah, that's really true. I mean it's Hollywood, so it makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> and she's just kind of there as a manic pixie dream witch. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> she just shows up out of the blue and is like, ooh, and I don't know. She's in a weird clothes. Yeah, she's talking nonsense. And uh, in the movie, Mrs. Murray is a little more concerned about Mrs. What's-It's appearance in their house and is like, who are you? You should go now. This is weird. And in the book, she's just sort of like, yeah, okay. Like, you're here, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Sure, you old kind lady. It's probably an age thing, you know? Yeah. If it's a a little wee old woman in a bunch of clothes, like, how are you? You can't be mean to her. Yeah, versus a hot Reese Witherspoon. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Who are you again? Very uh, interestingly dressed. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, so she shows up and she acts crazy for a bit. And when she's leaving, she tells uh, their mom, by the way, BT dubs. Yeah. There is such a thing as a tesseract. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and this kind of shocks the mom, and it's unclear why at first, but uh, you find out that the Tesseract is something that her and her husband were investigating or uh, looking into before he disappeared. Yeah. So. And it, as a way of traveling through space. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that happens, and then like a day or so goes by, and then Meg and Charles Wallace go to find the house that they live in. Yeah. That Mrs. Which live or Mrs. What's it? (laughs) (laughs) We'll get there. There's a, a, a a what's it, who and which. Yes. No, why though? (laughs) Or where? No, no. Uh, so they go to the house, um, and along the way they run into Calvin. Yes. Uh, Calvin football star, lanky, Genius. Genius. (laughs) He's 14, but he's in the 11th grade because he's so smart. (laughs) (laughs) I missed the part where they explain that he skipped grades. And for a minute, I'm like, wait, he's 14. If he's in the 11th grade... You're like, is there, wait. Is that, does that, is that possible? Or like, were, were grades different back then? Like, I'm like trying to do math in my head. (laughs) Uh, yeah. And he kind of shows up when they're walking into the woods and was sort of like, I just had this feeling that I was supposed to be here. So you kind of get the sense that he is slightly like Charles Wallace in the sense that he has like maybe premonitions or slight uh, telepathic abilities, but not quite 
to Charles Wallace's level. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he instantly is like, oh man, Charles Wallace and Meg are like my people. Like, <laughs> I love <laughs> these, these are guys. My like, <laughs> um, because he, he he's in a family um, of, I guess, poor white trash, uh, <laughs> dirty children. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he is sort of the oddball in his family for being so smart. Um, and so gifted. So he, he kind of feels a kinship with Meg and with Charles Wallace. And so the three of them travel to the abandoned house in the woods, uh, mm-hmm. to find Mrs. What's it? Yeah. And it's cool. Cause in the, the movie takes place in a very different setting. We kind of said like, um, by ourselves that the book's kind of like new england feeling with like yeah. woods and stuff and kind mm-hmm. of back roads uh the movie takes place in kind of suburban california yeah which i thought was kind of neat like a different kind of feeling and a different vibe especially for a disney fantasy movie like this like yeah. it's kind of a different setting at least at first for it to take place in. so i did enjoy that mm-hmm. um so they get to the house and who is there but, <laughs> but Mrs. Mrs. Who? <laughs> God, <laughs> I hate us. <laughs> uh, yeah, and in the movie, once again, in the book, another kind of old woman yeah. with uh, crazy big glasses. Mm-hmm. In the movie... Played- She's played by Mindy uh, Kaling mm-hmm. and also super hot. Yes. Um, Mrs. Who only speaks in like famous quotations from famous people. Uh, in the book, they're pretty, uh, old references, but, um, they do update it a bit in the movie with some newer references. Yeah. Um, I wanted to like that. And like, there was one that was kind of funny, but I felt like they were a little, they fell a little flat comedically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's kind of a lot in this movie that fell flat comedically, I think, for me. Yeah. One scene in particular we'll get to, but mm-hmm. um, the humor wasn't always like hitting its mark, I don't think. Yeah. But I, I do like Mindy Kaling in this role as Mrs. Who. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're there for a short time, and then they just go home. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a... a <laughs> as far as I remember, like nothing much happens there. No, she kind of talks, makes references to Meg's dad. Mm, yeah. In the book, at least. And then they leave. And then Calvin is like, "Can I can stay for dinner, right? And Mrs. Marie is like, sure, you can stay for dinner. And then Calvin is like, your mom is so hot. <laughs> also in the book, uh, Calvin moves on Meg hard <laughs> he's suddenly like they're out in the or, like in their orchard yeah at, like after dinner at night and he's just like hitting on her like oh yeah her. he's like your eyes are so beautiful no no, no. what he says is because she's like crying about her dad being missing mm-hmm. or some such craziness <laughs> um but so she's girl problems yeah, she's in you know having a vulnerable moment and i guess she's wiping her eyes or he's helping her wipe her eyes she takes her glasses off he's like, you know, your eyes are really beautiful without your glasses on. And then she's like, oh, okay. <laughs> and he's like, uh, but I, I'll keep this secret to myself. I like, I won't tell anyone that you have beautiful eyes. Your eyes are mine. <laughs> I want to like have that secret knowledge just for me. Uh, so he's definitely like putting the moves on her. Yeah. Like a lot. Uh Especially the fact that they just kind of met up randomly. Yeah. And there wasn't much of a connection between Meg and him, like, before this. Like, it wasn't, like, she secretly liked him or that they established he liked her. Mm -mm. Suddenly he's just, 
He went from zero to 100. Yeah, he's like, I've never met someone who's been on my intellectual level. Mm-hmm. So I finally met someone and you're a woman. So like, this is it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> this is love. This is it for me. Um, I mean, it, it is a little bit sweet that he feels um, kinship is. with their family, especially since he felt so alone in, and isolated in his own family. Um, and he talks a lot about how their home feels so amazing to him, just yeah. being in their house. Uh, and yeah, he's really into Meg's mom too. <laughs> see, my theory is he saw how hot her mom was and he's yeah. like, okay, I see the future now. <laughs> I know what Meg's going to w- look the like. The path Meg's going down. I'm, I'm just investing now. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like he's like, I like your house and your mm. family and I want to be a part of your family. I want to so- kill you and, mo- oh, sorry. No, <laughs> Instead of taking her place, he can like, kind of insert himself in the family by being with Meg. True, true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very, very deceitful uh, <laughs> theories on why Calvin <laughs> likes Meg. Or none of them like invo- her. <laughs> <laughs> none of them involving her as a person. No, and I think he does like her. And like I said about meeting an intellectual equal and feeling that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so at the, around this time... Mrs. We, we, we meet the final Mrs. W, Mrs. Witch. Yes. Mrs. What's It and Mrs. Who show up and then Mrs. Witch arrives. Yeah. And Charles Wallace pops up too and he's like, I totally wasn't watching you two hit on each other, <laughs> but we got to go on a magical mystery ride now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and so we're kind of filled in a little bit that they, uh, Mrs. Witch knows where their dad is. Yeah. And they're going to help them find him and rescue him. And away they go. They just... They tesser. They tesser. Uh, it's kind of cool in the book. They sort of explain tessering mm-hmm. a bit. And they have like illustrations yeah. in there that are really cool. They actually show... Um, and the term a wrinkle in time. They show like... And they do... They have an example with like someone's skirt where they have... Um, like the hem? Like the hem of a skirt. And they kind of fold it. And so it's like folding space and time. I'm really, they yeah, they didn't use that example, did they? In no, the movie. they didn't in the movie. I'm really shocked about that because that's actually a very good like visual example. And of they like, like illustrate it in the yeah, book, which I like, think is great for kids. Oh yeah. It's like imagine like how you can fold something that's 2D. Imagine like pulling these two points in space together yeah. and just immediately being there instead of traveling that distance. You're like, mm-hmm. oh, I kind of get it now. I kind of understand it. So yeah, yeah very odd, that, especially since the book's like named after that kind of. I know. Yeah. And they, um, they talk about like it being through the fifth dimension too. Mm-hmm. And they have a discussion on that. And um, it's, I think it's not meant to be fully understood because I honestly didn't really fully understand it. I'm like, what? No. What? I... Um, and Meg, who we're, I think we're supposed to kind of see ourselves in as the main character, um, has a moment where she kind of gets it. And she's like, I almost have it. I kind of <laughs> get it. And so you don't feel as bad for not she's quite like, understanding oh. either. <laughs> she's like, oh, I get, oh, now it's gone. Okay. <laughs> I lost it. I had, I, it's, it's already gone. I couldn't, I couldn't hold on. And I think that's what's so great about Meg is that uh, she's smart, but she also like has her limitations, you know? Yeah. And so it's, you can kind of identify with her in that way. Can we talk about giant Oprah Winfrey for a minute? Yes. When Oprah shows up as Mrs. Witch, mm-hmm. she's Huge. as big in 
the movie as her personality is in real life. Yeah. <laughs> She's enormous. She's so huge, but it's so great. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's just, it, it's really funny. I, I kind of liked that. Their um, costume design in this was like, I feel like they paid more attention yes. to their costume yes. and appearance than any other aspect of the movie. I completely like agree. <laughs> more than the CGI, more than, more the, than the acting, more than the script, more than mm-hmm. the uh, music, you know, anything and wardrobe and not even just like other people's wardrobe, like only the Mrs. W's wardrobe. Yeah, because each time they, t- and I really like this, each time they test her, yeah. their war- their outfit changes. Mm-hmm. And it's always something super like wild and colorful and like with a lot of crazy geometric makeup. And- yeah, and geometric and like a lot of like gems like on their face. And it's just really cool. It's awesome. I really love their costume design. Yeah. Like whoever did the costume design. It, it was kind of just cool. like, a co- it was just like the whole movie was just an excuse yeah. to put Reese Witherspoon, Mindy Kaling, and Oprah in like awesome these outfits. beautiful, awesome outfits. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it kind of made me think of a little bit of um, kind of like uh, uh, The Wiz, The um, Wizard of Oz. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, the costumes in that. I only <laughs> know this because for my job, um, as a designer, they brought those costumes to Pittsburgh and uh-huh. I got to design like promotional stuff for it. So I got to see them up close, but like very colorful, um, gem encrusted like outfits and stuff. And it's kind of a similar kind of a situation it with is. these witches who show up. And... Yeah. And going on this magical journey. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they get to their first planet that I don't remember the name of. Uriel. Uriel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just kind of this really beautiful, pretty paradise planet. Yeah. Uh, full of centaur, winged centaur people. Mm-hmm. In the book. <laughs> in the book, yes. Uh, in the movie, they are sentient flowers? Yeah, like artichoke leaves. <laughs> yeah. They kind of just like went a direction with it. Yeah. And I'm... Not sure why it's fine. Yeah. Like it's different. Maybe and- they like knew how bad the <sighs> original centaur, winged centaurs were, and they're like, let's just do the opposite. Well, there's also kind of an interesting gender thing with the centaur in the yeah. book is yeah. that like it's like a male looking figure with like a male voice. Yeah. And Meg's kind of has a moment of like he, she, uh, it. Yeah. it, you know, whatever it is or transforms into. So maybe that was another thing that they were kind of like maybe not wanting Let's to not like. Let's not go there. <laughs> Disney's like, mm, yeah, <laughs> not quite ready. Mm-hmm. Uh, so instead of a centaur thing, Mrs. Uh, what's it changes into a giant flying spinach leaf. <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly what she, she looks like—a giant spinach leaf. Yeah. <laughs> and they go on a tour of the planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And uh, Mrs. Watsit shows them the black thing. Yes. Which is this big black spidery thing in the sky that makes everyone feel vaguely sick. <laughs> <laughs> Just real shitty about themselves and their life and everything. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of, yeah, this idea of like pure evil that is spreading through the universe. Like a virus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, can we briefly talk about the kind of strangely religious overtones of this story oh yeah i'm ready to discuss this <laughs> yeah so i was very surprised by this but when uh the three w's are explaining the darkness and the yeah. people who fight it like the light she's like 
children, can you think of anyone on earth who would have been a warrior for the light? And they're like, Jesus! And yeah. they're like, yeah! And then they mention like artists and other people. Mm-hmm. But Jesus was definitely number one on yes. the list. Uh, so I've heard this novel kind of compared to... Um, uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah, I wondered if it was in that it's like kind of allegorical mm-hmm. towards Christianity. Um, and the author Madeline uh, Langell is was Episcopal, I mm. think, um, and was kind of like open about her religion and her beliefs. Um, and was kind of like, yeah, I put Christianity in there, like it's important to me. Yeah. Um, but uh, and it it is kind of weird. And it feels at times like very heavy handed. Yeah. Um, especially when it's like light and darkness and like God yeah. and all mm-hmm. that stuff. Um, but in other ways, it's kind of subver- subversive, especially when you think about it for its time. Yeah. So this is 1962. And so to have references to God in literature is not like super uncommon yeah but and um in this like sci-fi kind of story though it's yeah. like different it feels and you don't usually have that um but i was reading some quotes from the author where she was saying how uh, when she was writing this book that she was reading a lot about um physics and astrophysics yeah. and all of this like scientific you know um space related stuff and she was saying like i wanted to write something that combined elements of science, magic, and religion, and that they could all exist together Yeah, in this world, and like that would be fine, and people would like it, and people would understand. And I think, and what's really interesting too is that, so this book has been um, really frequently banned. Really? In schools and in libraries. Um, in the 90s, it was uh, in the top 10 lists of the most frequently banned or challenged books in America. Um, and what people object to the most in it is the religious themes Hmm. and people mostly object to it, um, either because it's too religious, too Christian, or (laughs) it's mixing religion with like weird mixing religion. So people, so in that scene where they're like, who are the warriors from your earth that you could think of? And they say Jesus, but then they also say Buddha and Gandhi and, uh, I think they say Nelson Mandela, or is that in the movie? I forget which ones they mention. Yeah. But um, they mention artists. So they kind of are like lumping Jesus in with like all of these other <laughs> yeah. like people and kind of implying that, you know. Like Jesus and Bono. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and like scientists and mathematicians, and they name all these other people. But um, I think some Christians saw it as sort of like a, a universalism, like a Unitarian type sort of equating Christianity with other religions and kind of saying like they all have the same message, which I mean, they kind of do. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Uh So I think, so I actually don't really mind it. No. Um, I think it works. And especially when you think about like, this is, this was published in 1962. Um, I think for people that are really not into religion, like I would definitely be like, Hey, this book has like Christianity is sort of like, inserted into it but if you liked the chronicles of narnia and you were fine with kind of like skimming over some of those jesus parts you know i think (laughs) this this book does seem kind of heavy-handed at times but you can kind of broadly interpret it and think of it more as like a universal message of like hope and light and good and evil rather than just like christianity only i i agree and at no point are they like 
of course, Jesus is the way and the truth. And you know what I mean? They don't like preach that no. kind of a message. I do like the idea of like connecting God to like this cosmic, like yeah. kind of crazy space like journey. journey. And especially when dealing with math and science and stuff that like I think over time has become more separate from oh, yeah. uh, the more extreme christian sex you know what i mean like yeah. science and math are kind of like no no's for you, them. <laughs> you don't need you don't need to know it as long as you believe in jesus that kind yeah. of idea so i do like this combination of those two elements and i think it is unique and i i did having i was very surprised by it at first yeah but then having time to think about it and read it you know the whole way through i'm like i kind of like the way they handled it you know yeah and there are like actual scriptures quoted in yeah. the book, but um, they all kind of fit into the theme of what's going on mm-hmm. in the story. Um, so it doesn't feel like they're literally like quoting the Bible at you for like specific reasons. It's kind of like thematically timed in, tied in. So yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, super so, interesting. Definitely, <laughs> yeah. So after they get their lowdown on good, evil, Jesus, all that stuff, uh, they travel to the uh, medium, the happy medium, the happy medium. Uh, to have their, not their future scene. I, I don't know what the specific point of... Yeah, I don't either. I forget why in the book. I think they went to just kind of like see what they needed to do maybe or their plan. In the movie, they don't know where um, mm-hmm. Mr. Murray is, their yeah. dad is. So they have to find out where he is. In the book, I think they know where he is. I think so too. Yeah. Um. So they go to this... Uh, happy medium <laughs> yeah and she yeah. goes to like see their futures uh in the movie it's a he yes uh played by zach galifianakis yes um this was the part that i was more acutely aware of kind of the failings of the comedy of this movie yeah because he's obviously supposed to be a comedic character and like that seems like why they cast him and why they did his character that way but he wasn't very funny. No, and I think a big part of that is the editing. Yeah. I was like, after every joke, um, like, first of all, like, the it was kind of quietly delivered. And yeah. then there were always, like, these very, uh, like, long reaction shots of everyone kind of, like, exchanging these <laughs> yeah. glances. And like, being like, this can guy. you believe this guy? <laughs> like, that kind of a thing. And I, I don't know. It just really made these moments kind of cringy. And I just wasn't feeling it at all in these yeah. scenes. Yeah. In the book, there's kind of a cool part where the happy medium shows them sort of um, the earth and the darkness around it. And then also shows... Um, uh, like the fight against the dark and it shows uh, a star kind of fighting with the darkness Oh yeah, and the star like kind of exploding as it like gave up its life mm-hmm. basically. And you find out that that was Mrs. What's it? Yeah. Okay. So are all three of them previous stars? I think either stars or something okay. like that. They don't say, Yeah, but it's sort of implied that they are, like that they were once something else mm-hmm. and have kind of become these forces. And, and I don't know. It's sort of like this idea, like maybe not like reincarnation specifically, but just yeah. that like, I don't know. 
they sometimes still I, exist. Sometimes I can't tell in the book if something is like purposefully vague yeah. or if I'm kind of missing something. Uh-huh. You know, um, there are parts later that I think this really works well in. Yeah. Uh, and I kind of compare, like in my head was comparing it to Neil Gaiman. Uh-huh. Because Neil Gaiman's so good at this world building with kind of very strange rules that like aren't. And leaving certain things vague. Yes. And they make you like feel weird about it. And it's not always clearly defined, but you all, you're kind of aware of that and you're along for the ride. Yeah. There were parts of the story that worked like that really well, I thought. Mm-hmm. But then other parts where I'm just like, I just feel like I'm not getting the info I need. Yeah. Like with Charles Wallace and his powers mm-hmm. um, and with the Mrs. Which and who and what's it, you know, are they all stars? What is their role? So with them, I feel like it works for me at least. Okay. With Charles Wallace, it's a little more like, what is the purpose of him besides mm-hmm. being smart? Um, but there's a part where Calvin says they're trying to explain the Mrs. W's to um some other people and he calls them angels. Yeah. And I like that it's as he's trying to explain it to these other uh, alien creatures. They're, they're not being able to communicate super well. And kind of the whole scene is almost about how words are so futile yes. and meaningless and how humans rely on them and other like people or different planets might not rely on those words. And so they're trying to explain the Mrs. W's. And the finally, the one thing that Calvin can think of is angels and i like that idea like we know that they're not angels mm-hmm. but like that's the closest he can get to describing like what they are yeah so that mystery i, I did like that part which yeah. comes later in the story than it like does. this scene where we were explained what mrs what's it is yeah uh, yeah so i i did kind of i liked that comparison a bit more mm-hmm. but yeah this the story kind of rides this wave of Am I supposed to know entirely what's going on or who these people are and the situation? But, yeah. y- you know, kind of take it in stride, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And then they leave the happy medium. In the movie, he shows them uh, how <laughs> people on Earth are affected by the darkness. Oh, my God. Like uh, the principal getting selected for a promotion and other people were jealous of him. What a weird scene. <laughs> it is. I we're like, like suddenly involved in the school politics I at Meg's school and we're like, we don't know who these people are. <laughs> I'm like, why are we back at the school? And it's like, it takes too long to like yeah. understand what's going on. Um, and well, there was another one oh, too. Oh, it was the one girl that Meg put the, through the basketball in her face. Yes. The, the only other <laughs> characters were briefly introduced to in the movie which is the principal and veronica (laughs) it's like hey you want to hear more about their backstories yeah oh and calvin they show calvin's dad yelling at him oh that's true and that's kind of how they find out that calvin's dad is kind of abusive yeah yeah so we do get that bit of insight Mm -hmm. um but that's about it yep and then and then so in the movie the happy medium tells them that uh, Meg's dad is on uh, Kama- Kamazaz? Kamazots. Kamazots. Kamazaz? Camelot? <laughs> that dark planet. How about that? <laughs> yeah, the dark place. And um, in the movie, the Mrs. W's are like, oh shit, we can't go there. Yeah. And they're like, let's go back to Earth. We'll think up a new plan and then we'll figure it out. And then Meg fucking hijacks the Tesser yeah. and like drives them to the planet that yeah. they're not supposed to be on. Mm-hmm. And then Mrs. Witch, What's It and Who are like, well, oh, we, we can't stay here. We can't be here. Peace. <laughs> and then they leave. They like va- vaporize. 
in the book, uh, they are just like, okay, kids, we're going to drop you off on the dark planet. We can't really help you, but you'll be fine. <laughs> and it's like, as you're reading it, you are like kind of okay with it. And then when you see the movie, you're like, oh, it kind of makes sense for them to not be like, okay, kids, here you go. Bye. <laughs> so I think it did kind of make sense that Meg kind of forced them to go to the dark planet. Yeah. But then again, in the movie, why did they recruit them? And then show them the darkness. Yeah, yeah. Before finding out that's where the dad even was. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> and then it's like, well, now we can't. Unless it was some whole like mind fuck thing where they're just trying to like make them do what they want them to do. I don't think that's their. I, yeah. I don't think so either. I think it's just a little wonky. Yeah, I think maybe they felt it would be too weird for them to be like, all right, here you go. You got this, guys, and just leave. Yeah. Um. Then in the movie, we get the weirdest scene. We get the part that I honestly disliked the most about the movie, mm -hmm. which is when they first arrive on the dark planet. And suddenly trees sprout everywhere. Yeah. And they're in like a forest. And then a tornado, some kind of like windstorm comes up. A sentient windstorm. And then we're quickly told, even though Charles Wallace had been right beside them. Yeah. He's gone and they can't find him. And Mrs. Witch is like, he's on the cliff, you have to get there. Past the wall. Past the past the wall. That's yeah. the term they use, which was like a cliff. And then this storm is coming, and I'm like, "What is?" Like, I I I truly, honestly believe that they cut a scene or something. There had to be. It's so confusing and it's so abrupt. Yeah. And you have no idea where Charles Wallace is because the three of them are there, and then suddenly Charles Wallace is not there, and then they eventually get to the wall. It's like some stupid scene that you know is what? not even you know meaningful. what i bet i know what? i bet i know what it is i bet disney wanted something i bet like they did reshoots and they wanted something more actiony like a set piece like a set piece that they could show in the trailers and yeah. stuff because uh, I, I do distinctly yeah. remember that in the trailers like this storm mm -hmm. and she's saying like do you trust me oh yeah dramatic Ugh. and like especially because um after this scene we get them showing up to that town, the town uh -huh. and the forest disappears. And then these homes build themselves around them. Yeah. And then when that scene's over, the homes fold away again. And, and then, then it's the beach scene. Yeah. And something was very weird about that. And I didn't like, you're just like, what is this place? I mean, yeah. I guess it's supposed to be like that, but it just didn't feel, I don't know. You're just like, what is the point of any of yeah, this? Yeah. I didn't understand it at all. No. It was weird. I didn't like it. Yeah. Um, but in the book, they just kind of go into this town. Mm -hmm. People are real weird. And the kids are bouncing balls in rhythm. It's very unsettling. Yeah. <laughs> and you kind of like get the idea that everyone that lives on this planet is kind of under the control of the dark thing or uh, it, as they call it. Yeah. Uh, fun fact. So in the book, it's spelled capital I, capital T. Yeah. And for a while, I was thinking of it as IT. <laughs> IT. <laughs> like, like the IT department. Because <laughs> I, I, it was just weird that they capitalized both letters. Yeah. Like, even though there weren't periods mm -hmm. after the letters, I still was thinking of it as I, IT. Until finally they used it in like its, like yeah. as a, and I was like, oh, oh. I'm dumb. <laughs> Yeah. So. But people are robots. Mm-hmm. And it has taken over everyone's mind and is keeping them kind of the same. And. Yeah. Did you feel like there was some kind of like 
um, political or like communist. Um, I know like, people have kind of said that it's sort of like communist. Yeah. Um, but I did read that the author was saying she didn't mean it to be specifically anti-communist. She just meant it in the sense that like in any uh, regime mm-hmm. where um, the government or a dictator has control, yeah. how there's no freedom of expression. Okay. So she meant, she's like, it can apply to communism. It can apply to fascism. You yeah. know, it can apply yeah. to any of these. Ism. Yeah. Okay. Systems where people don't have free expression and are in fear. Yeah. You know? It didn't like necessarily make sense to me as like a communist, um, example or something but then yeah. again it felt like it was supposed to be or something like that and i mean it's in the 60s so it's the middle yeah, of that yeah. cold war time um and who knows what she was thinking at the time but in things that i've read that she was talking about it afterwards she was like i didn't plan it to be specifically anti-communist yeah which i guess i believe her. <laughs> um, i guess if she says so <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah so uh we get that creepy ball scene yeah and then it kind of plays out the same, but a little differently. In the book, they arrive to this large building, the central central intelligence building, yeah, <laughs> uh, where they meet the man with red eyes. Mm-hmm. And in the movie, they just kind of show up at this weird, crowded beach. I don't like this. I don't either. I just it's another. I'm like, why is it in this setting? Like, what is this planet? Yeah, like in we the, don't understand. No, in the book, it was at least like an actual planet. Yeah, with people with on people it. that were yeah. like enslaved, but here it's. People and things pop up and go away, and I'm like, what is actually this planet? Yeah, is this just an abstraction? Like, Mm -hmm. what? Yeah. Uh, And Charles Wallace is overtaken by its control. So, um, they, in the book, Charles Wallace kind of goes to it willingly to try to find out where their dad is. Yeah. In the movie, he kind of just gets trapped. But either way, he turns into the worst immediately. He's just super creepy. If you thought he was annoying as a child talking like an adult yeah. before, now he's just like, ugh. I, I would like to say quickly that this kind of battle of the minds in the book yeah. was the first time when I was really getting on board with this story and the vibe of it. Because mm-hmm. it's this really interesting, and this is where it felt Gaiman-esque, like yeah. Neil Gaiman, where like he tries it. The man with red eyes tries like hypnotizing them by saying multiplication tables. Yeah. He's yeah. just like one and two Wrote, is two. Yeah. One and three is three. One and f- and then he's like two and two is four. Two and three is six. And they have to start saying um like nursery rhymes, like, or, like yelling them. Nonsensical things. Yeah, to yeah. like kind of drown it out. And there's just kind of this whole mental battle that's like kind of odd but interesting. Yeah, and I like that the power of it is just this like rhythm mm-hmm. and this forced beat that everyone's like, yeah. even your body succumbs to like there's, they talk about a scene where Meg can feel her heartbeat and her breathing like struggling because it's like trying to align with its pulses. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like that idea that the control is sort of like a sound and a feeling yeah. and just this endless beat and uh, repetition that you kind of get trapped in. Yeah, I I, I, I enjoyed that a lot in the mm-hmm. book. And then from there on, a lot of things I was like more on board with and enjoying more. Yeah. Um, but it did kind of take up to this point for me to be invested in this story mm-hmm. personally. I don't know. But uh, Charles Wallace gets... He turns super creepy, Charles Wallace. Yeah, he's really snarky and mean. <laughs> yeah, just kind of a little dick, you yeah. know. Yeah, but they do everyone. find their dad, and 
um, Meg uses Mrs. Who's glasses to be mm-hmm. able to free him from his prison. And then, but even though they freed the dad, he has no idea what to do yeah, and how to save them or even how to save Charles Wallace. And Meg is really upset and Charles Wallace is taking them to it uh, and they get there and you find out that it is just this huge disembodied brain. Yeah. It's just like pulsing. But and this is when Meg can feel her like heart and lungs like in rhythm with it. And I I love at one point she describes like the room is totally silent. Yeah. But this rhythm, this like beat is just like in them and like everywhere and like they can feel Feel it. it. But it's Mm -hmm. like a silent room. It's not like a rave. No. (laughs) Yeah, it's not you like you can feel the bass. Yeah, Yeah, it's not not a bass drop. (laughs) I can't escape these mad beats. Uh, Yeah, so uh, Mr. Murray doesn't know what to do. So in desperation, he tessers with them. Yeah. And you find out that he ended up on this dark planet because he tessered um, in his science experiments and stuff. And he accidentally ended up on the dark planet. He didn't yeah. plan that. Um, and he's not super good at tessering. Um, and when they tesser back to, um, they, they go to a random planet. Yeah. Cause he has no idea how the fuck to yeah. control it. <laughs> and Meg is like really fucked up from the experience. And um, it's really interesting. And this is a point where the book and the movie diverge. Yeah. There's this whole part in the book where Meg kind of is just a shit. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's absolutely accurate. It's just, and they explain it as when they test her, Meg doesn't test her very well. Like Mm -hmm. it's kind of hard for her every time. And her dad didn't protect her. Um, like the Mrs. W's did when they test her them before. So Meg, when they went through the black thing to get out of the dark planet, it like kind of burned her and like hurt her inside and created some kind of wound. And there's just like bitterness and anger and all of the, these negative emotions that are coming out of her when they get to this planet. And she's really angry at her father. And you know, a lot of this is actually what she's feeling, but it's just magnet, uh, magnified by the black thing. Mm -hmm. But she's like, how could you leave Charles Wallace there? Like, you don't know what you're doing and you got us into this like disaster and you should be the one that's uh, leading us and protecting us and you, you, you're not. Yeah. And it's really painful to read because you feel really bad. <laughs> you're like, oh man, I'm sure Mr. Murray like feels all those things already. Yeah. Like- <laughs> he meets, he, he finds his daughter after four years and she just yeah. starts berating him for not like. For being a shitty dad. Yeah. yeah. I, I really liked this part of the book though, actually, uh-huh. because I think it's really perfect for like the age of Meg's character. Yeah. For her, like in this situation, regressing into a more childlike state yeah, and like really she is on the edge of that she age. is yeah. yeah and she her just kind of like you know being kind of shocked by her parents or specifically her dad not having everything together and a grip yeah. on everything mm-hmm. and her kind of like falling into this child state you know and yelling and screaming and having a tantrum, tantrum. yeah um and i think it really helps contrast later when she has to step up yeah as feeling like a big step forward for her character you oh know? yeah uh so I, re- I i really did like the what this part did for meg and like how it set up the payoff yeah for her character a little bit later yeah it was a little hard to read for me yeah 
Uh, I did like it, but mm-hmm. just for her to be like that mean to her dad. I know. I'm like, oh, I'm sure he feels like so bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's talk real quick about uh, Chris Pine as the yeah, dad. Yeah. I he, he he was my favorite performance and character in the whole movie. Yeah, I liked him. The a lot. scene where she's reunited with oh him. Oh my god, and they're hugging. Is so sweet and uh, sad. I know. And uh it just it really got to me. It was really sweet. It I was. liked it a lot. Yeah, and, me too. And Chris Pine just did such a good job. You know, we get flashbacks of him throughout the movie. With him and Meg and him with yeah. his wife. Yeah. And you get more even than in the book, like this connection he had with Meg and his yeah. kids. And even Charles Wallace, um, who they had only adopted real recently before um yeah. uh before he disappeared. Yeah, in the movie Charles Wallace is adopted. Yeah, which I'm not sure why. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but in the in the movie, though, so, you know, he hasn't, he didn't raise Charles Wallace as much, really, no. or at all. But in the movie, when he sees Charles Wallace, I think he says, I think the line is like, is that my baby boy? Yeah. Ugh. And it was so sweet that I know. he still, like, thought of him that way and had that connection with him. Chris Pine, why aren't you my dad? <laughs> I know. God damn it. <laughs> Plus, he's got the beard. Like, yeah. Chris Pine looks good with the beard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I want so, him in every movie as a dad now. I me too. Yeah. He's great. Uh but yeah, I really really liked what he brought to this role and this character in this movie a lot. Yeah. Um also the part in the movie when bef- so they're being dragged away by Charles Wallace. Yeah. And it was interesting cuz I has well, I wasn't at this point yet in the book reading and I kind of like doing this. Yeah. Like watching the movie halfway through reading it. Because it, <laughs> well, it gives me kind of a glimpse into what it's like to see the movie first. Yeah. And also still have that book first experience. Mm-hmm. And I had been wondering this in the movie and this kind of confirmed it that at this point in the book, in the movie, I didn't know what was going on. And when Chris Pine tessers, yeah. he only gets him and Calvin out because Meg kind of stays to help Charles Wallace. So it plays out differently in the movie. I didn't know what was going on though. Yeah. I was very confused by, because I don't think, it didn't make, I didn't realize he could tesser as a person. I thought it was like a machine that he used to travel. Well, there's that flashback where he does it in his lab. Yeah, but there was like a machine there. So I thought it had something to do with, I thought it had something to do with that. Oh. Mm -hmm. Um, So this was kind of a glimpse into, I was like, if you hadn't read the book. Yeah, if you hadn't read the book, I'm like, I really don't know what's going on right now Mm because suddenly he's disappearing with Calvin, but Meg is still there and I wasn't sure why. Yeah, I think this goes in the movie. It goes along with the theme of Meg resisting people tessering her. (laughs) She's just like, fuck no. Don't tell me what to do. Yeah, like when she was like, no, we're going to the dark planet to find my dad. And they're like, okay. And then her dad's like, I'm tessering and we're leaving. And she's like, no, I'm staying with Charles Wallace. Um, So we skip the whole part about Meg being a shit and kind of Mm -hmm. growing a a bit. I get why they cut it. It would be kind of hard. It would sort of feel like a step back from the action that had just been happening. Yeah. So I kind of get it, but I think we do lose a bit of Meg's development in that. I get it from a screenwriting pacing perspective, but I do think we missed out on the most critical part of the book in my mind. Yeah. So uh, also we missed out on the fuzzy tentacled aliens. Ant Beast. Ant Beast. I loved this part. Oh my God. They were so great. These these tentacle, but still furry uh, aliens. Yeah. Kind of take Meg in. 
and uh, Calvin and her dad, and they kind of nurse Meg back to health, and Meg names the one Aunt Beast. Yeah. Because she's a bitch. (laughs) Um, But she's, like, super sweet, and is just like, I love you, Meg. Like, you're like my little baby now. I'm like, it's so cute. I can't handle it. And Meg describes, like, being, like, like, um whisked up in their like tentacled arms and yeah, it being very like comforting and they yeah. feed her it's so cute and they're just really it's kind of this nice little break from uh the action of the story yeah uh so i, I did i did like this part a lot in the book mm-hmm. uh but then eventually meg in the book has to go back to the dark planet to save charles wallace yeah she realizes that she's the only one that can do it mm-hmm. that um calvin doesn't know charles very well and even her dad doesn't really know Charles Wallace that well either because he's been gone so long. So she's the only one who knows him well enough to try to get him out of it. So she goes back uh, to Kamataz and in the movie, she stays there and doesn't leave. And she tries to get Charles Wallace um, to come back to her and to leave the it consciousness. And she does this um, with loving him and it's sweet. Yeah. I mean, it's a simple solution. Mm -hmm. You know, there's nothing too complex. Um, And the message is pretty heavy handed, you know, love, like triumphs over darkness. And and the brain is like, does not compute. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It just explodes. But I think it ties in with the bond that we've established between Meg and Charles Wallace. In the book. In the book. I, uh, watching the movie, I'm like, I'm not totally sold on their brother-sister relationship. Yeah. You know, Charles Wallace is kind of cute and like, I'm a scamp. And (laughs) Meg's like, Charles Wallace. But I, I, you know, there's kind of a long gap, I think specifically in the middle. Yeah. Where Meg gets more time with Calvin. Yeah. And Charles building that up. Yeah. And Charles Wallace kind of takes a back seat. Mm -hmm. So even the small amount of establishing relationship they do at the beginning is kind of lost through the middle. I agree. That's a good point. So that by the end, when she's like, Charles Wallace, I love you. Remember that time that you heated up milk for me? (laughs) Remember that one scene? That's what I'm going to refer to. Yeah. Yeah. It just, I I just didn't, I wasn't buying it really Mm -hmm. in the movie. Yeah, it works. I think it works in the book. And it's really sweet because all of a sudden he does come back to himself and kind of like runs into her arms and they're both crying. And I'm yeah. like, oh, we love each other. <laughs> yeah. And then at that moment, um, the Mrs. W's tesser them out of the dark planet. Yeah. And back to Earth. Uh, I just want to backtrack real quick mm-hmm. to the scene where in the book when Meg is deciding to go. Yeah. And she talks to uh, Mrs. Watsit, who's kind of being just like cold to her. Yeah. And she's like, why can't you go? Why can't you? And they were like, that's not our role. Yeah. And I really thought this part was interesting because the whole time in my mind, I'm wondering in this story, why did they recruit these children yeah for this mission mm-hmm. like these they're, if they're cl- powerful beings yeah, yeah they're clearly like all powerful omnipotent like kind of time traveling beings like why are they recruiting earth children mm-hmm. uh I, I get like the connection to the dad but like why do they actually need them mm-hmm. uh so that kind of bothered me through most of the book and i I like that they addressed it. I almost wish they had done it earlier. Yeah. And I guess now that I'm thinking about it, maybe like, cause we know that Mrs. What's it was once a star yeah, and like fought in the battle. And maybe because she gave up that life, 
now she's only like a guardian. Yeah. And like, I think that could have been explained a little bit better. I think so too, because I I, I liked that idea that they're just like, they're the recruiters yeah, and kind of have to, they like have to play, um, take a back seat to like a lot of these scenes and these actions. So I did like that idea. I just wish it had been brought up sooner. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's just something I wanted to touch on real quick. Yeah. Yeah. So, but they test her out. Uh, They get back home. The book wraps up so quick. It does. They're all of a sudden back on Earth. Everyone's running towards them. <laughs> There's re, um, everyone's reunited all around, and, and they're like the twins. We forgot about the twins. The dog jumps in. <laughs> yeah, and then the Mrs. Who and Miss, Mrs. What's it when they're leaving mm-hmm. is like, I'm sorry, we can't stay. I have to, and then they like disappear before she can finish saying it yeah which was is there a sequel to this there are four in this series wow okay yeah no they're not as popular as a wrinkle in time and i haven't read any of them um but yeah it's a time quintet Mm. i was wondering if that was a purposeful lead-in to like a sequel yeah it might be because it kind of seemed like but i didn't know maybe at the time if there was supposed to be a sequel yet or not so i Mm -hmm. was just curious about that but yeah so Everyone reunites. There's tears. There's crying. Same thing happens in the movie. Mm-hmm. Just we get to see uh, the Meg's hot parents kiss, <laughs> kiss and reunite. <laughs> it's very sweet, it though. It is sweet, yeah. Uh, I, I enjoy that a lot. Because they did establish her parents' relationship throughout yeah, the movie pretty well. But they loved each other. Yeah. They were really close. Even though it was a little strange, because like... Meg's the main character who you're following. Yeah. So when you get these flashbacks of the parents, you're like, what is what perspective is this? At yeah. All? yeah. Is this something Meg just kind of knows about them, or like, what's the point of this? Like, whose perspective are we in right now? Mm-hmm. Um, but also the music. Yeah. I just want to mention that real quick because there was like too much of it. There is a lot of music, especially at the beginning. Hmm. I feel like sometimes people rely on music to like get you to that place where they need you instead of it being the script. <laughs> okay, yeah. You know? Yeah. They're I, like, let's just put a, a like a an bit of a song, song in here so you feel it. Yeah, I was not affected by any, every song, because they had lyrics to them a lot of times. Yeah. And just every single one of them when it started, I was like, <laughs> you just it, it was suddenly off. Like it was super weird to me, so. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I, I was thinking, I thought <laughs> like about I that. I need to talk I'm about like, it. I'm like, I need to address the weird music in this movie <laughs> before we wrap it up, because, yeah. So, which one was better? Oh, boy. Um, I would have to say, even though it took some time for it to grab me, yeah. I think the book mm-hmm. had a lot more interesting stuff going on. Yeah. The movie, nothing about it was particularly remarkable or like stood out to me as memorable Mm -hmm. um and i i I don't know i just yeah and i think i also like the book better Mm -hmm. i think the movie did some things well yeah and other things not as well but i really think this is a hard adaptation to do oh i I, i think so too especially since a lot of these concepts are pretty um they're not, I don't know. They're it's just really like abstract. Abstract, And yeah. math-based and uh-huh. like like that weird fusion of math and magic. Yeah. And 
you know, religion too. It's like, how do you even, I, I totally get why it hasn't been adapted since that horrible TV. Ad- I think it was a TV adaptation. Yeah, it was I could a TV be right. adaptation. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I get why it hadn't been tackled again since then. Mm-hmm. But because uh, I, I think a lot of elements of it would be more interesting kind of from a less childlike perspective. Yeah. The movie does get weird at points, Mm -hmm. but not the weird that I kind of liked about the book. Yeah. And like, I don't know. Like, I feel like the book straddles the line a little better between being an adult and a children's book. Yeah. I, I think so too. Um, which is cool. And that's another thing that reminds me of Neil Gaiman. Mm-hmm. I feel like every time we mention this, we should be <laughs> saying that uh, a wrinkle in time or Neil Gaiman reminds us of a wrinkle in time because it's the other way around. Like I'm sure mm. he was influenced by a wrinkle in time. True. It's not like <laughs> Madeline Langell is being like, oh, I'm going to make it kind of like Gaiman. So and just like, throwing that out there. <laughs> no, that's very, that's very fair. Yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm sure it was a major influence on him. Give credit where credit's due. Absolutely. Yeah. And I know for a fact that many, many, many authors have listed this book as being hugely influential to mm-hmm. them and kind of getting them more interested in science fiction and fantasy and making these types of stories. And I mean, when it came out, it was really groundbreaking in the sense that it had uh, a young girl as the heroine, that it was a book that was kind of marketed towards uh, both children and adults, and that it was this kind of weird blend of science fiction, mm-hmm. fantasy, and like I said, religion and people. And it, it was almost not published because publishers were like, we can't sell this. We don't know what this is. Yeah. But once it was, it was an instant sensation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And let's talk a little bit about the movie too, because the movie had a really interesting kind of build up. Yeah. So I think it got a lot of um, attention and buzz because first of all, it was being directed by an African-American woman. Yeah. Uh, who had proven herself with, with Selma, Selma yeah. like, and got completely snubbed by the Oscars for mm-hmm. a nomination for that. So, you know, a really prominent uh, minority directing it. And then the cast uh, was also diverse. Um, diverse in terms of um, the Meg being African-American. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and all the witches, uh, or not all of them, but uh, Oprah, obviously, and yeah. Mindy Kaling, you know, um, adding diversity to that as well. So I think, and obviously it being a classic adaptation, I think people just got really excited about it. Oh, yeah. And I do remember the trailer looking good. Uh-huh. Um, there are some really good visuals in it. But then I was really kind of surprised and kind of saddened when it came out and the reviews were very middle, yeah. not great. Mm-hmm. Um, which... And you don't know, in, in circumstances like this, you don't really know who to blame because you have no. very talented actors. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were newcomers. Um, the actress who played Meg um, had never, I don't think, had been in anything really before. But I thought she did well. Yeah. I liked her in it. And, you know, Chris Pine and some other, you know, obviously the three Mrs. W's were very famous. Yeah. Um, and Ava DuVernay is obviously a talented director, so you're like... Yeah. What, what went wrong? It's hard to tell. Yeah. I, the whole um, tornado thing and my thought that that's like a reshoot a for studio action. interference. 
makes me think that maybe Disney kind of put their, like, I think they were maybe a little worried about it. Yeah. Because it is a very strange story and a risky adaptation. And I think maybe they tried to, it's tough. You, you never know yeah. how far that would have gone if that was the case. But I would bet that didn't help. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's, um, you know, it sucks because a lot of people were excited about it and not that it's like terrible or anything like no, that. No, it's like, enjoyable. And, and I think, you know, not every <laughs> movie's directed by minorities and being more representative, they also deserve to be okay. Yeah. Not every fine. single one of them has, has to, be, to be like groundbreakingly amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they they deserve to just get to be fine. Yeah. Like the Ghostbusters reboot. Yeah. Like it gets to be fine. And, yeah. And it doesn't mean that it was wrong or that, you know. Women... And just because it does have a diverse cast doesn't mean that it's going to be good either. You know? Exactly. It's like, yes, we want more diverse films, but that can mean good diverse films, bad diverse exactly. films, medium diverse films, mm-hmm. excellent diverse films. You know, we want all of it. Yeah, for sure. So... You know, I, I do think that's kind of just an important takeaway from the reception of this. Yeah. Because uh, at first people were like, oh, my God, it's not good. And yeah. they're like tearing their hair out <laughs> <laughs> and like burning the streets. But I, I think movies get to be not great sometimes, no mm-hmm. matter who's directing or who's starring. So, yeah. Yeah. So book. Book. Book for both of us. <laughs> lightning round? Yeah. Lightning round. All right. We got some hot and steamy. Uh, lightning rounds ready for you. I'm ready. What do you got? Okay, so the first thing for lightning round, the villain in this story is called It, right? Mm-hmm. Does it remind you of anything? Stephen King's Stephen It? Stephen King's It, but this came out in 1962 and It came out in the 80s. Yeah. So, I don't know, did Stephen King steal the idea from mm. Madeline Langell and called it It? I don't know, because that was like, on one hand, it seems like kind of unoriginal not I don't, I don't mean to say unoriginal but yeah. enough that like can you point it to a specific author that idea but also that was pretty early like yeah the 60s and then the 80s and it is this weird abstract evil entity so mm-hmm. yeah kind of like it in the stephen king book yeah too, so stephen king certainly had to be aware of it oh I yeah would imagine aware of it <laughs> it okay so this part was so funny and I don't think it was supposed to be as funny as it was, but in the scene where they're flying on the spinach leaf, Mrs. What's it? Yeah. <laughs> they fly past giant Oprah. In the movie. In the movie. And Charles Wallace reaches out and like free willy strokes Oprah's, <laughs> Oprah's face. <cheek. laughs> and Oprah makes this like really weird, like mm, like leaning into the yeah. touch. It's so funny. <laughs> it's so I'm just like, how funny is this supposed to be? Like she's just giant in the sky and Charles Wallace is like reaching up to brush it in like this magical moment. But it's super weird. <laughs> super, super strange. Uh so in the book there's a part when they're tessering with the Mrs. W's and they stop on a 2D planet <laughs> where Meg and the rest of them can't survive because they're 
pushed into two dimensions. Yeah. And uh, it's a funny, like, kind of silly scene, sort of, like, very whimsical and kind of crazy. But uh, they quickly go back to a real 3D planet. <laughs> and the Mrs. W's are like, oh, we forgot that, like, you guys need three dimensions. It's so nice to be in 2D sometimes. <laughs> it really feels good. <laughs> and they're like, like you okay. almost killed us. Okay. <laughs> it was funny. Um, in the part, so in the final confrontation, the movie mm-hmm. between Meg and uh, Charles Wallace, Charles Wallace shows Meg like this prettied up like sexy version sexy version of herself with yeah. like straight not curly hair and like a better outfit a better outfit with shoulder cutouts yeah with the shoulder cutout I don't know what those are called but um I honestly didn't recognize her at first I'm like is that one of the bullies like what I'm like yeah. oh my god it's her <laughs> he's like this is what you could be Meg mm. you could be this sexy version of yourself if you just join us and she's like no <laughs> yeah she's like no no uh oh and then she pushes oh yeah the sexy version and she like falls to her death <laughs> she like screams she's as- like does the same like move of throwing that basketball in that one girl's face <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i was like jesus um yeah that whole final i know we didn't talk about it at all but like it's very goofy because they're like in they're, it, so you don't see a brain no in, in the, the movie, movie but like this final scene where they're inside of it looks this, like a brain looks like a brain but if you didn't know it you might not know it no but then, like, Meg is being, like, attacked by these, like, neuron tentacles. Yeah. And it's super weird because they just keep grabbing her and then letting go. Like, yeah. They kind of be like, <laughs> Are they, like, shopping <laughs> her or something? I yeah. Know. Like, they just keep kind of twirling around her and then untwirling. And, yeah. like, you're like, what are they? <laughs> 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 you're like, I don't, I don't get what's happening to her. <laughs> but Okay. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, so that that's, that's lightning round. Woof, we did it. We did it. Another episode. Another episode closer to our deaths. <laughs> <laughs> we hope you enjoyed our Wrinkle in Time episode. Um, please let us know if you have any thoughts about a Wrinkle in Time. Did you read it as a child? Was it amazing for you to read? Did you like it? Do you have nostalgia? Were Tell you like me it. at the time? You're like, meh. <laughs> How do you feel about it now? How do you feel about the movie? So yeah, hit us up on Facebook, mm-hmm. on Twitter. Um, you can email us at cover to credits pod at gmail.com. Yep. And on Twitter, we're cover to credits with the number two and we have a Patreon. So yes. if you'd like to support our work, uh, it is work. Uh, it is, um, effort on our part yeah. so we appreciate um your support whether it's monetary or just listening um we really appreciate uh having you guys around as listeners yeah it does help like we bought these sound panels yeah. you know with the money that we got from our patrons so mm-hmm. you know it, it goes into making the, the episodes better, better hopefully mm-hmm. so yeah um if you're able to contribute and you like the show we certainly would appreciate it and uh our next episode you guys are in for a treat. We are doing part two of the Twilight Saga New Moon. So um, if you haven't listened to the first part of that, Twilight, you should definitely check that out and hear about Ian's tragic journey in reading this story. I'm so ready for the sequel. I hate read through the first one so hard. It's going to be great. I'm so excited for the sequel and to get to talk about it in the movie. Oh. 
Mm. Yeah. Oh, it's going to be great. I'm so ready. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye. Bye.